0: of the success story podcast all right uh, thanks again for joining us uh, today I am sitting down with uh, Lan Belenke who is the co-creator and uh, general manager of Bosha um, now Lan was born and raised in her young te- until her young teens in Japan um, which is uh, the infamous center of skincare innovation Lan was fascinated By uh, the beauty trends and tactics she was continuously exposed to, um, mesmerized and reminiscent of her grandmother's uh, six-step beauty ritual and her aunt's unique product application uh, practices, uh, the allure of the beauty world naturally beckoned. Uh, In spring of 96, Lan moved to the U.S. with her father uh, and Bosha founder, um, Jen Inomata, So, he could realize his dream of bringing Japanese influenced skincare to the state. So, let's fast forward a few years. Uh, So, uh, his dream was realized. Bosha was born, uh, land attended university, graduated with a degree in business marketing. Um, Basically, while going to school, spending as much time as possible helping grow the business, grow the brand. Um, It has it has done exceedingly well since its inception. Obviously, um, when I first uh, when I first was excited about doing this interview, I was speaking to my spouse, and she's like, "Yes, you gotta get her on." Like, I use I use I use Bocha all the time. Um, I obviously I didn't know the brand as well, but after doing a little bit of research, uh, what I like to do is to frame it up for people that are listening who are uh, not so tuned in like myself. I looked at uh, all the accolades, and I wanted to name a couple accolades. But I, I went to the website and there was Women's Health, Cosmo, CNN, uh, Us, Yahoo, Vogue, Pop Sugar, Harper's, L, InStyle, People. And that was like the first 10 in 2019 of a list of about 100. And that list went on to 2002 or back all the way to 2002. So like this is just a little bit of a a precursor for how successful they've been. So, Lan, I really appreciate you joining. Um, I, I really, really am excited to discover, you know, your story, uh, how you've built this company over the years, and and I guess just to learn a little bit more about uh, what's driven you to to be to be the Bosha that we, I guess, we all use today. So, thank you.
1: Of course. Well, thank you so much, Scott, first of all, for um, having me on this podcast. Definitely um, during, you know, these difficult times, it has really given me something to look forward to, get dressed, you know, put on a nice shirt. So um, something I was absolutely looking forward to and um, got to listen to some of your podcasts and um, must say I've I've actually learned. So uh, (laughs) to be a part of this. So just a little bit about myself. Um, You've done a great introduction, but Yes, I was born and raised in Japan. My parents um, met in the U.S. My mother is American and they got married. They moved to Japan. So I was born and raised there and absolutely that's really where my passion for skincare started. So my grandmother and my aunt, every time I would go over, we lived very close to them. Um, I would just watch them take such meticulous care of their skin it was never about makeup it was always skincare but you know being a girl a young child i think you always look up to other female um older figures in your life so i wanted to copy what they were doing i wanted to play with the products and they were so kind of course and kind of taught me what everything was and not that I really understood the meaning behind it. It was just so much fun playing with it. And then, of course, as I got older, um, you know, it was like, oh, this prevents wrinkles from happening. Yes, this is great. I really want to do that. So really, that's where my fascination started. And then, of course, like you mentioned, it really is um, Tokyo, such a a great place to be in if you are in love with skincare, because we do see a lot of those innovations come from um you know not only japan but from asia Uh and then fast forward a couple years as i began um to go into my teen years for really personal reasons my parents decided that they did want to move back to the us my mom she did learn japanese it's so amazing to see old videos In her speaking Japanese because she moved there when she was, I don't know, 20-something.
0: That's
1: (laughs) But I think it was a point in time where she wanted to be able to communicate to her children in English. So that really prompted our trip because um, growing up in Japan, I didn't speak any English. So then we moved to the U.S. And that's when my father really started, you know, 20. the idea of bringing um, skincare. And at that time, there was no clean beauty. Um, I think even skincare on its own was such a foreign concept almost. It wasn't um, a typical routine or no one had a routine. It was a very makeup-driven world. So, you know, when you ask someone, what do you use to wash your face? It was like, oh, I use a bar of soap. You know, I use my shampoo. And that was really where skincare was at the time. And so I think there was this light bulb moment where, hey, maybe there is an opportunity to really market these amazing um, skincare products without the use of harsh ingredients and that's what BOSHA is all about and where we were born. And so originally um, when BOSHA started back in 1999, 1998, um, it started out in our house. So one of the extra room was reserved as the BOSHA office. And I say this a lot, but my sisters and I used to fight because you know I wanted my own room. But I couldn't because that was always the designated office. Um, Our garage was essentially where all the products were stored, so that's where our warehouse was. I would fold pamphlets, folders, samples, you name it, anything that I could um, get my hands on. I definitely wanted to help out. Um, And then as I entered in high school, this was a time where, you know, after school or on the weekends, definitely summer breaks, I would help my father out, going to local festivals, um, really doing whatever I could. And that's when I, I think I had another moment where I just became so passionate about BOSHA. So, of course, I always loved skincare, but that was the moment where I realized, hey, I really want to get involved in this um, and make it official. So being in high school, I knew in order to really contribute to the company, I do have to get formal education. So I went on um, a way, I went away to school. I came back and then 2008, I officially joined BOSHA, but kind of a funny, well, it's a funny story now, but um, in the beginning, my father absolutely did not want any of this. He did not want me working at BOSHA. He thought it was first idea ever. Um, And to be completely honest with you, the reason why I got my first role there is um, there was an administrative assistant. I think she she had put in her two weeks. They were scrambling um, and I went and interviewed. With your dad. (laughs) And um, the, the general manager at the time came back and I guess told my dad, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. She's, she's actually too qualified for this role. She has a degree, but she's okay with the pay. I think, you know, <laughs> with it, I think we should take her plus she's bilingual. She speaks Japanese um, okay. really kind of worked out. So that's how I got my official um, entrance into BoSha, And then from there, I've had every single role I would say in the company. I worked in marketing, of course, started out in customer service. I did some inventory and planning. I also worked in sales. And one of the other reasons why um, I do feel that I was so successful in Bos- at BOSHA is because I've had amazing mentors. And every time um, they had an opportunity to branch off um, to a different brand, do their own thing, I was always uh, a person that they went and spoke to my father about and saying, hey, I'm not gonna take any of your other employees, but I wanna take plan with me. Mm-hmm. And that then of course triggered my father and I starting to realize that, hey, I think she's pretty valuable um, in our operation. So then you know, we would have to work out what that would mean. And so that was a way for me to um, elevate my role at BoSha. I think the biggest moment for me um, at BOSHA was in 2010, and that's when I actually launched the Luminizing Black Mask. That was such a big moment for the brand and really put us on the map. Um, prior to that, of course, um, you know, we were gaining momentum, but the Black Mask is what really mm-hmm. put the brand off to the next bubble. And from there on, I really started helping out in product development, leading marketing. And then in 2014, I became general manager. And then um, really around 2017 is when, um, you know, we decided that I'm going to go on and take on that co-creator. name and title essentially officially so yeah this is a story that we can speak to outwardly to our clients and um that's a little bit about myself and how um i got started at bosha
0: it's a great story um a few things that i i i found that were incredible especially the way that your dad uh and father he ran the business obviously it's his baby but he didn't he didn't just hand you the keys. Like you worked exceptionally hard to get to where you are.
1: Yes. And you know, um, I don't I don't know if it's because he's Japanese or <laughs> it's just the, the Inomato way, but um yeah, you know, I think for him, and I, I really have to thank him, he never wanted anyone to say, Well, Lance there because she's your daughter. Like let's yeah. be honest. And I think in order to avoid that from the very beginning, he was like, no, 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 not going to happen. Um, and then when I had that one, you know, I was really that one chance where my pre- predecessor let me come on as an administrative assistant. And I think from there, really, the doors open. But I would say more than anyone else, I felt the need that I had to prove everyone wrong. Um, I really had to. And of course, I wanted to because I love what I do. But um, I had to go the extra mile. I was always you know, first one in, the last
0: one uh-huh.
1: out, working on emails when I was home, really putting in the extra effort to build relationships with the retail partners. So definitely, um, it was almost as if I wanted to prove him wrong, um, but it definitely, um, I, I can't thank him enough for just pushing me to um, where I am today.
0: I think I think it was smart. I think that um, I think that and I actually wasn't going to bring it up. I, I thought the story was amazing. When I when I looked you up on LinkedIn, I actually saw all the roles that you just discussed linked like uh, listed out on your LinkedIn. And I was curious and I'm like, <laughs> like I, thought, I thought it was her dad's company. Like, why is she? But it makes sense now. It makes so much sense now.
1: Absolutely. And that's so funny you bring that up because I even remember typing in those different roles on LinkedIn every time I got a promotion because I was so proud. And half the time I know he was the one that was like, no, we can't do that. In fact, I had one mentor who this was years ago. She wanted to give me a promotion. And I guess my, dad told, my father told her no. And she said, "You know what? This is so unfair. She's your daughter, but it's almost like reverse discrimination against her. She's doing mm-hmm. a great job. She deserves this." And you know, he told me after the fact. But I just thought that was really funny that he really, you know, really went that far to object to something that wasn't.
0: Well, he pushed you hard, and and like, listen, now it, now it paid off like years years later. So that's very good, very very good. Um, so let's. So that's a great story. I really appreciate you unpacking that. Can you help me understand a little bit more about even how your father conceptualized and and he had a dream. Okay, that's great. But how do you just come to a new country and build uh, a like a global skincare brand? What's the experience? What's the strategy, like right from the start? I'd love to know more about that.
1: Great question. So um, Bosha started in 2002. So we actually have a parent company called Funko. Uh, They're based in Japan. They're a huge multi-billion dollar company. He was working for Funko at the time and really their concept and we do um, take a lot of their DNA and their messaging is all about preservative free skincare. So their angle is they market and uh, produce formulas for sensitive skin type women. So really the initial plan was to bring Fonkel to the US and he did try
0: that mm, okay.
1: for years. But due to packaging, just um, marketing, componentry, where the market was really with skincare, it didn't work. And so taking and learning from that mistake, but still wanting to take that fundamental value of this clean beauty concept, that's when Bosha was created. So really marketed towards the US consumers Packaging was larger. It was much more user friendly. Um, it had more of a brand story. So that was where really um, the idea for for skincare started.
0: Gotcha. And then that. And when he took that to to the states, what what were the first steps that he did to start? I guess understanding the the U.S. market because it's not only it's not only starting a business. It's starting a business in a market that. Yes, he has, like, everybody has some concept of what the U.S. culture market is like, but still, it's, it's so much new all at the same time, and it, it, you still did it successfully. That's why I'm, I'm curious as to how he did that.
1: Yeah, great question. So, um, to be honest with you, one of the first ways that we really started to get our name out there, and, be, of course, this is prior to anything being digital, was working with the newspaper company putting in samples. And I remember, you know, driving around with my dad, we couldn't afford putting it with the newspaper per se because there was like a co op for that advertisement fee. But we would go right after the newspaper
0: <laughs> and just kind of leave it right
1: next to it. So you know, we hoped they would take it. Yeah, that was um, something we did a lot of, and we did receive calls um, and fax orders when we did that initial run. We also partnered a lot with local festivals. That was a way to really get our name out there, but. I do think in the very beginning, um, we really, really, it was such grassroots marketing. We were very hands-on. I mean, even cold calling is something that you know we tried. And then once we had more of an establishment, of course we brought on PR agencies and had much mm-hmm. more uh, of an expert who who were guiding us in the right direction. I do think another big breakthrough for Bosha was when we, um, Got our first break, and we, were, we got we were being sold at Henry Bendel, so that was really a big point for us. Um, it was almost um, advertisement to be able to have our products at such a prestige retailer at the time. Um, and then from there, we were really fortunate to be able to partner with larger retail stores because our story was so unique and. You know, no one heard of, what, what do you mean you create your products without paraben? Um, you don't have any sulfate. That's so interesting. So I do have to think. Um, you know, some of our growth to these amazing retail partners that we definitely par- uh, partnered with early on. Um, I would say within the past, you know, five, six years, actually more than that, for the past 10 years, Sephora had been, has been uh, a great partner with us. So that was also um, a great opportunity. And then in 2008 was really the most exciting year for BOSHA in that we expanded our distribution. So up until then, we had been Sephora exclusive. That was really the only place we were sold. Um, so 2018 was a big year. But to go back to your question, um, in the beginning, it really was hands-on. Um, and And even thinking back now, it was so difficult because it wasn't, You know, the Internet wasn't
0: really Mm
1: -hmm. a thing yet. You know, there weren't influencers you could partner with. There wasn't um, really any type of digital presence. So we did partner, um, you know, with the uh, traditional ad magazines, things of that nature.
0: So I, I just find it very impressive because when you when you get massive market share and you take market share away from all these incumbents that are huge, you know, in the States, I think the the product, the natural like the natural components of the product, uh, grassroots marketing, but then you're obviously still you're still killing it on social. Like when I look on social, like I think that your brand is probably ahead of people that have been around for much longer than you. So I think that you've always kind of stayed like ahead of that of of that marketing curve combined with the products. That seems to be like a, it, it's it seems to be common sense, but I guess common sense isn't common. Because n- not a lot of people I find are doing it. I, I, spoke, to, I spoke to somebody um, who was in uh, doing hair, uh, hair products, and it was the same thing. It was just a slightly different way of doing things, and then understanding uh, understanding the current marketing environment. And that just seems like it's so simple, but I see a lot of like legacy industries or legacy providers like not doing it so well. I just, I just I'm thinking through it why. Some people have such an easy time, like dominating social and whatnot. And that's really like a a secret sauce once you have like the right product or whatnot. Um, Very interesting. Um, Okay. So where did I want to, where did I want to take this? What did I want to ask you? Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to understand for that, the charcoal mask. I think that's probably the one thing that, um, that even I know you for. Which is a, which is saying a lot because I don't know a lot about skincare. My skin, my skincare routine is is whatever my spouse tells me to put on my face. So like, I, that's pretty much it. So it, it all comes down from her. But she uses your charcoal mask, um, and I didn't know this before we actually discussed like doing the interview. And then that just so happens. Um, so I guess where did the like that wasn't something that you were uh, displacing. It wasn't like this is like sort of like net new to where did that come from and how did you think through that and how did you take that to market
1: Definitely so um the charcoal masks wow what a game changer so this was maybe 2008 2009 um every summer I do go to Japan to go see my grandmother my aunt and when I do take these trips one of the things I love to do is of course go and you know check out skincare products and one summer I remember going there and all I saw was peel off masks. That was just the trend there. And of course, back in the U.S., masks was not even a category that anyone Mm -hmm. paid attention to. So I was really surprised and just infatuated by all these different masks they had. And then simultaneously on this trip, um, you know, my grandma, she, she obviously loves to share her stories about when she was younger and the theme for this summer kind of was like charcoal. So she would just tell me all these crazy stories about how, and she would still practice this, um, how they would use it to cook their rice because it really draws out impurities. So that mm. was something that you know she was teaching me. And then she would show me also how you know, you can keep charcoal in your refrigerator and it really helps with the odor and whatnot. And so there was just all this conversation with charcoal and then I really had this lipo moment where like, wow, there's all these um, different types of peel off mask. Charcoal just seems to be this magic ingredient that my grandma just keeps talking about. It's like toothpaste, just all these amazing uses that charcoal has. And then that's when I started wondering, hey, I wonder if we could put this, you
0: know, yeah.
1: and make a product. So we came back to the US, worked with our team, actually came out with a submission and it was you know the black charcoal peel off mask i remember at the time showing it um to my boss she thought it was a great idea we then showed it to again uh, my father and he was like you guys are crazy there is no way like who's gonna put this on your face And, and this was also at the time where you even walk in to look at skincare packaging's white, formulas white, everything was so clean looking that he just didn't believe in it. But um, we were like, you know what, this could be really cool. The packaging was black, the component, the tube was black, of course, the goop was black. Then we went to, um, you know, Sephora at the time and pitched the product. They freaked out because of course, skincare, again, just needed excitement. And this product brought all of that. It was of course effective, it was fun, it was different, it was really disruptive and prompted actually um, a campaign for Sephora where every month they would pull a couple of um, new products and give them a space at the front of the store and this was one of the first products to be featured in that. And then of course from there um, the rest is history You know, we sold out. We even saw a crazy growth in the mass category. Now, I think.
0: I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show. And NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know.
1: And that was that was it for us. And then from the success of that, we were really able to build a charcoal franchise. So that again put BOSHA back on the map because again, not only is charcoal such an effective ingredient, but really brought this fun element, adding color to the skincare space. And then what was really interesting is um, going back to the Luminizing Black Charcoal Peel Off Mask in 2017 we just broke all the records because um, a social media video went viral and she was using the Bosch Black mask. And that year, I mean, we couldn't keep up with the demand. So um, again, it just really uh, reiterated how um, successful this mask is and how it's still relevant, I guess, um, today.
0: Did you, have, did you have any pushback because like, you know, even your, your dad said like, well, well, this is not what this is not what people know. This is not what people are used to. And that actually ended up working to your benefit. But did you have any like, like hurdles or was it just, was it just like uh, Sephora loved it, like consumers loved it? Um, I'm just curious because like taking a new product to, that has no category and it being an instant hit, that's incredible, but that's very hard to achieve. So...
1: Yeah, no, 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 great question. I think a lot of the hurdles um, we really experienced was internal from a manufacturer. Hey, I don't think this is going to work. Even, you know, from the marketing team, are you sure this is going to, this is, this is going to make sense. But I do think because it was so unique and there was nothing like that in the market at the time, when we did present it to the retailers, they, we both knew right away this, yeah. this out. Of course, we did have to be very cautious as far as the instructions, um, usage. We even went as far as getting clinical testing results so that way it mm-hmm. does know, hey, oh wait, wow, like this does really work. It's not, they're just not saying, oh yeah, it's going to clean out your pores. So I would say the biggest hurdles were just internally. Um, reassuring everyone on the team like it's gonna work out. Don't worry. We just have to get to the finish line. And once it did launch, um to be honest with you, yeah, we were very fortunate in that it was um it was very successful.
0: Do you find do you find like people are like copycatting now? Like to Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah
1: There's a lot of um copycats out there, I would say. Um yeah, it 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 breaks my heart but but it's also, I guess you know the most sincere form of
0: it is, no it is it is I guess because you you brought it now. um I think that people see the success and they probably want to, to emulate for sure now, where do you see um i guess you're I, I would consider you an innovator because you're bringing new products and you're disrupting. Where do you see um the industry going like what do you what do you think is next? what do you think is going to be new? it could be by cause of the current situation, are, are trends going to change in, in beauty and or is it going to say the same new product? I'm just curious because you're, you're so into it. You're so deep into it. What do you see emerging trends in, in all beauty industry?
1: That's such a great question. So a couple things that I've been seeing is um, definitely I do see more and more brands, whether they're in skincare, hair or in color, really um, jumping on this clean safe beauty bandwagon so any type of trade show you attend they're all talking about you know are you a clean brand are you using good for you ingredients so i think that's something that'll continue to be a big part in this industry um for bosha personally um one thing we're really striving for is sustainability and i do see that being um, a big trend that's happening within our industry so looking at component that's, you know, 100% recyclable? Is it made out of glass? So I think that's another big trend people are moving toward. As far as skincare specific and formulations and products, I do believe um, we were at a place where uh, consumers were doing these 10, 15 multi-step skincare routines where I do think now um, the pendulum has swung the other way where people are looking for more of a product that has multiple benefits and usage. So I think that's always something um, interesting for us to look at. So rather than, you know, using four different products, is there something, is there a product where it, you just use one and it's
0: mm-hmm. able to get
1: you some of the same benefits? But I would absolutely say the clean beauty movement, I don't think that's going anywhere. I do see a lot of brands um, changing their formulations to become part of this and I think sustainability, we're gonna continue to see, um, you know, not only from Boscia, but from other brands, how do we contribute uh, to just be more responsible in, in terms of what we're putting out there.
0: I think that's I think that's 100% on point. Um, now my question again just because you're so in this, the second you introduce new ingredients, there was a reason in my opinion at least this is not I don't know I don't know what I don't know, but there's a reason why traditional ingredients were used because it was profitable. So by introducing new sustainable ingredients, does that change profitability margins? Does it make uh, harder for new entrants into the market because it costs more to push a product out in like an already highly competitive. I would say beauty is very highly competitive. Um, so, so how does sustainability change ch- change the revenue and then the dollar figures in the industry?
1: Yeah, I mean that's always something that we have to look at whenever we change ingredients or change component. It absolutely um, hits our bottom line. But what I've been finding through our research as it relates to sustainable components. It actually can be more cost effective to go that route. Um, I do think some of these suppliers too are really hungry for the for these new for this business as well, so they're kind of willing to work with you. Um, as far as ingredients that is always difficult because we do use the highest grade ingredients. So for us, definitely it is the goop that's driving a lot of this cost. so, we do have to be really cautious, but what I really pride ourselves at, BOSHA, is that we really search globally for the best ingredients. So we don't just settle for one ingredient. We always push back, trying to making sure making sure that you know we find the best ingredient. But absolutely, becoming sustainable um, can help out, I guess, depending on what type of vendors you're working with. Um, And then swapping out some of those ingredients absolutely can drive your cost. And I think what's kind of interesting in the beauty industry is there really isn't um, any type of regulation. So like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, some of these um, more established prestige brands for them, I believe right now they may be going through a process of eliminating some of those old ingredients and seeing, you know, what are some other alternatives they can use without you know essentially driving their costs.
0: Yeah very interesting and I think that also um, the one point that uh, you didn't mention but I think that it's definitely helping um, people that do approach sustainability even if you're spending more money on you may not be but even if you are spending more money on the product I think that the the way like our, our current retail environment our current consumer cares about that and they'll spend more. I've noticed that like repeatedly they'll spend more if they know that that brand stands for something that they believe in. So that's something to take away, too. So it, it actually ends up being a very much a win-win because you do have more sustainable uh, ingredients in the product, but also you have people that are willing to spend and support those brands. So it ends up working out well for everyone. Um, and I think that as you know, uh, with, with the access to information, I think that you have to be a little bit more transparent about what you put into your products, uh, beauty uh, or, or anything really. Um, And that's uh, that's something that I think people are really focusing on. Um, I'm super curious uh, and I don't I like to make evergreen content, but uh, I can't I can't avoid this question just because we're living through it right now. So obviously a lot of um, a lot of a lot of companies are in stores in retail selling through retail. Um, You have a massive social media audience, so I'm sure you're able to sell online as well. What do you think is going to happen with the beauty industry? If anything, maybe nothing, but if anything, because of uh, coronavirus and pandemic and retail being shut down, do you think that people are going to evolve or die? Or what's, I'd love to get your, your input.
1: Yeah. Um, th- I think this has really been a big wake up call for all retailers, really. Um, of course, there is that dot com part of the business, but majority of the sales does come through brick and mortar. Um, so I I I do think that things will change and more focus will be put onto digital. I mean, a lot of the retail partners that you know we sell at, we are again at their mercy as well because these stores aren't open and that's where, where the sales come from. So I do think things are gonna change. I think a lot more emphasis needs to be put on Um, dot com, whether it's making um, that platform much more user friendly, offering free shipping um, as just as a regular basis. But I do think this pandemic has really put some light on um, the problems that brick and mortar are facing. And I think, you know, there was already challenges prior to this um, in terms of brick and mortar business and this just really really i think escalated those issues and yeah i I think digital is really the way of the future
0: have you um now you're you're living through it have you made changes to your supply chain to to your focus right now or are you expecting things like what's what's your reality for maintaining your your top line
1: yeah it's it has been. This has been probably the most difficult time we've been going through as a company. Um, definitely, you know, we had to make some changes and make some adjustments. Um, you know, fortunately, we do have retailers that are open, so that's been really helpful. But how do we, how do we still try to gain some sales? And and so with Bosha.com, We've been implementing free shipping, um, doing more promotions, trying to get creative, and you know, having an influencer take over.
0: I saw you had a live influencer uh, yesterday. I, I went to your your Instagram ahead just to sort of prep a little bit, and you had somebody doing like the live takeover. It was good.
1: Yes, Abby, yeah. Gummy, she's awesome. But that yeah. was another, um, just another creative way to help. You know try to make some sales happen Mm. but it's it's been very difficult and i think you know we are so fortunate that in 2018 we made the decision to expand our distribution because if we were reliant on one retailer at this point that would just be a complete disaster
0: yeah yeah yeah. Um, okay. So uh, that's very good. Um, I guess I want to just ask one last question about Bosha and then I want to ask some more things about like, you know, your your life lessons, insights as an entrepreneur. But I just want to know where do you want to take Bosha next? Like what's, what's your next step for the company? Um,
1: yeah. For Bosha, um, next step is definitely want to just make this brand a national brand, um, a household name, really offering clean beauty that's, you know, at an approachable price to all Americans. Um, we're also distributed globally, too. So that's something we have been working on. Definitely want to become an international brand as well. And then I would say another goal of mine for BOSHA within the next 10 years is um, going back to sustainability. We really just want to make sure all of our packaging is sustainable whether it's 100% recyclable or using um, recycled material. But I do think that's so important. And um, it, it is our responsibility to make sure that we're leaving um, a better earth for the next generations. Yeah.
0: Do, you have, um, do you have any uh, like teasers or, or, or ideas for new products? Or is that not on the roadmap for now?
1: Yeah, we, you know, when I say sustainable, I'm not definitely just saying it, we have put our words into action. So we actually just um, partnered with TerraCycle, which is a recycling program. So this entices our um, customers to ship back, I believe it's five of their um, empty pieces, and then we'll send them a free full-size luminizing black mask. We're also working on some launches for 2021 um teasing out some possible um, sustainable material for componentry. So definitely some um, tangent actions coming your way.
0: Very good. No, very good. OK, um, these are questions that I like to ask because I like to sort of like dive into into the mind of like an entrepreneur and figure out things that you've learned. So one question I love to ask is uh, just one lesson that you tell your younger self that would help you get to where you are today, maybe a little bit quicker. Um, could be professional, could be, could even be personal, but uh, something, something that you tell yourself.
1: Yes, I would definitely go back and tell my younger self that, you know, if someone tells you no, that can't be done, that may be a good reason for why you should try it. And what I mean by that, I guess is, um, sorry, let me back up, I guess, I guess what I would tell my younger self is to just kind of listen to your gut. So I had experiences in my um, younger career where, especially in regards to the brand, like, "Hey, land, you can't say that your brand is better because it's alcohol-free." You know, you can't say that you don't use paraben because essentially you're putting down these other brands. And these were things that I would absolutely listen to um, and other other advice too. But I just wish that I had listened to my gut and stuck to my original feeling, knowing that no, this is. This is who we are as a brand
0: we yeah. use
1: ingredients for x y reason, but I think that could definitely apply to other areas where um I think it was more of a level of a confidence that mm-hmm. I wish I had yeah, just stuck to my guts and listened to my inner self
0: I think that's I think that's a great lesson and to i guess um the the way that I would interpret that is just own own what you know is true and don't be ashamed of don't be ashamed of if you are confident in whatever you're bringing to the world, it's fine. And, and own that. And if you can own that, I think that makes you a stronger brand, a stronger professional, stronger individual. That's, that's, that would be my like takeaway. And I think that it, it's, it's sometimes it's uh, when you're building out something that's so personal to you, you do feel that like hesitation to say I'm better than this or I'm, I'm you know, we're better than this or whatever. But if you are like you, you, you show it for sure. And you better make damn sure that you actually are. But if you are, like, just own it, like, own what you're good at. And I think that that's something that you shouldn't shy away from. But, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yep. That's exactly what I was trying to articulate into words. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very well. Uh, no, I, 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 I ask these questions a lot. So, sometimes I have to, um, uh, you know, you you probably don't do interviews all day. So, I try and just take what you say and, like, and, and, and turn it into to layman's terms, that's the best that I can do. But uh, no, is it really, it's a good answer and it's really important because not a lot of people own what they're good at. What, and if, and that, can, that can lead to so many issues in your career too. Like we're speaking about entrepreneurship, about building a business. Um, the, biggest, the biggest reason for people not getting a promotion or a job or a raise is because they don't feel like they have the, the confidence to ask for it. Um, if you, if, even, even if you're going into a job, if, if you feel confident in your skill set and your ability, people don't go into a job interview and obviously now times are a little bit different than we were six months ago when we are at the lowest unemployment rates in, in almost my, like my lifetime. But if you go into a job, you have to just own what you're good at and you have to negotiate and you have to stand behind it. And if you don't have somebody who's going to appreciate it, I'm speaking about job and, and employer, but if you're speaking about brand and customer, if you don't have a customer that appreciates what you're good at, then then you're just going to be vanilla. So I think that, and no, you have to have, you have to stand for something. I think there's uh, this very cliche, like stand for something or fall for everything. Or I don't know, probably from some movie or someone famous. And I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to hate myself for not remembering where that's from, but it's, it's very relevant. Uh, I think it's very, very important to, to know that and to own your truth for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, last question I wanted to ask. So I've always found that people that, uh, Are focused on building anything It could be themselves it could be a business they always have mentors they always have sources it could be podcasts could be audibles could be people Uh, I would love to know um, first of all who yours are who your mentors or your people are but also are there books podcasts audibles that you could recommend to people who are listening um, that you like to use as resources to learn new things
1: Yeah, great question. So I'm definitely a firm believer in uh, having mentors. So definitely uh, previous GMs that worked here at Bosha are individuals that I keep in close contact with and uh, definitely working within the beauty industries. There's also amazing female entrepreneurs that I have had um, the great honor of meeting, whether it's conferences or at retail events. Um, and those are people I, I do like to keep in touch with and every once in a while, again, you know, see what they're doing, what, what, what you know, what they're working on. And I think that really has helped me not only, um, you know, validate that what I'm working on is 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 right and I'm on the right path. So that's a really great way for me to grow. Um, I also do, um, I'm part of, um, it's called the Roar Society, but it's local to Orange County, California but it's just a group of women. Um, There's probably about 100 and so members and they're either um, entrepreneurs or business business leaders. And about every couple months, um, they put together um, a series where they have guest speakers come in. And that's just a great place to um, not only learn, but to network. Um, And through networking, I definitely have grown personally and just learned about things that I um, otherwise would not mm-hmm. have learned. Um, I must say, Scott, I, I really enjoy listening to um, your podcast. Um, the last couple guests you've had, um, what was his name? He was the self-help book, the, the Chicken Noodle Soup. Um, oh, food
0: Jack food. Uh, Jack Canfield. Oh,
1: totally gonna go, um, actually gonna go purchase his um, audio book because I just found that so fascinating. Um, so yeah. I've been reading, um, a bunch of, uh, like, like, like those types of books where it's more about self-help. Yeah. Um, and really as far as podcasts, anything beauty related, um, I think that mascara is one that I listen to. Um, so I do try to keep myself busy in, in that regards.
0: Yeah. Well, it's important. So, you know, like the... You mentioned a couple good points there, but one of them, like you're just, you're just diving down into the industry that you're in. So obviously not everyone listening is going to listen to mascara, but like the, the point, the takeaway is like whatever you're in, like you have a resource that's, that's, that's teaching you things, constantly bringing you new insights in that industry. Um, I like my, my biggest resource is to listen to other podcasts and and listen to how people interview and how they engage with guests and and what people like asking and what people like responding to and what people like listening to and that's that this is you know this is what I'm living so that's how I do my research but I think that you know for yourself or for anyone if you're in an industry find some resource that it could be it could be just like high-level general professional development personal development or it could be industry specific and like that's also a really, really great takeaway. Very good takeaway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for myself, I, I, I guess I get really, really um, deep into industry specific but just really, yeah, whether it's following competitive brands and just really yeah. learning, you know, what they're doing, what type of social activation.
0: But you're they always are learning. Doing. That's the thing. That, that's the, that's so important too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, if if you oh actually I'll ask uh, I'll give you I'll give you the floor. Is there anything that we didn't mention that you wanted to to bring up?
1: So one thing we are really proud here at Boscia, um, of course, in the in line of this awful pandemic we're living through, is that we have been donating uh, products to essential workers, essentially frontline healthcare workers. We've probably donated over several thousands of moisturizers. We know that has been an issue for these healthcare workers as they have to wear those masks for very long hours. And really that's what prompted this initiative. And so we're very proud of that. Another thing we um, recently did on social media is we did run a contest asking individuals to nominate um, essential workers that they felt you know, needed uh, a care package. So we ran that contest and we were just overwhelmed um, with so much nominations that definitely uh, brightened our day too to be able to participate but you know whatever whatever small efforts we can make we definitely want to contribute and help out and we're just so grateful and thankful for all those um essential workers out there that's that's out there while you know we're staying home and um, doing our best to stay safe.
0: If people want to learn more, uh, contact you. Can they, or how should they, or how, how do they learn more about BOSHA? Like where would they go?
1: Absolutely. Um, they can find us um, at BOSHA.com online. And then I would say definitely Instagram is a great place. They'd probably receive a much faster respond rate if you just DM'd us at BOSHA. And then, um, yeah, if they want to find me, I'm also on um, social media at LandWinky.
0: That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off.